What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. Uh, all right. Well, sir, good morning. Happy uh, weekend. <laughs> Happy day. And you know what's wonderful is it's nice and cool outside. Compared to what last week we had, it was 114 degrees in the early in the morning. No, it wasn't quite that bad, but. No, but it did get up to uh, a natural high of 102 without the heat index, and we were having um, 90% humidity with, you know, 90 plus to 100 degree days, and so our heat indexes were in the triple digits, and that was not fun, but this last week, the the last, like, three or four days of this last week, the humidity's only been 30%. And so that made it amazing. And that's why John's um, going to go do a do a removal today, this morning, early. <laughs> we always try to schedule our removals early in the morning in the summertime, especially because when it does get stupid hot out there, um, we don't really want to be in the, in the heat if we don't have to. So we try to start them between 9 and 10 a.m. at the latest, and that way we can try our best to be done by 12 or 1 or 2 at the absolute latest. Before it really, really, I mean, that's, it's already pretty hot by 12 or 1, um, but, you know, 3 or 4 o'clock is when it's just sweltering and you don't really want to be there. So we try to get stuff done uh, a little bit earlier than that. Um, I do have a funny story to tell you. Okay. Let me tell you one thing. So, we, and you can tell the story here in just a second. Have you ever used a red <laughs> light for removals at night? Well, I don't do removals at night. Um because when bees can't fly, they crawl, and you can't fully see everything that you're needing to be doing. So the a lot of the times people will do that because they feel like all of the bees are at home, and so they're going to be able to get more of the bees. But it's a, it's a safety thing in some regards because you're trying to do precision cuts and you're trying to do this other stuff. You're on a ladder. You could be 20 foot in the air. You've got a lot of equipment and stuff that you got to move around, and though... It can definitely be done, and if you are going to do it, you should use a red light because the the red light, the bees don't see that red spectrum, so it will illuminate things with an eerie red glow that won't necessarily attract all the bees to the light source, but it'll still light it up so that you can see what's going on and, and get in there and do what you need to do. But yeah, I usually don't do my removals after dark. I do them during the daytime when I can see. <laughs> okay, okay. okay, now tell us a story. Okay, so... Um, you know, we all forget things and we all have these funny little random moments and we posted it out there on social media, uh, this weekend, a couple of days ago for everybody to get a kick out of, but it was one of the days where it was actually 102 that day. And I needed to go to the main apiary and I needed to do an inspection basically on all of the hives. And I went through and I got the truck loaded up and I had everything good to go and double checked and made sure I had plenty of smoker fuel and all that fun stuff and hive tools and, you know, all the all the necessities. And I have a, a hat and a scarf, uh, like a, a gator, that are both cooling. You get them wet and then you can put them on and they'll help keep you cool. And we use that when we do the removals too to kind of just help out. But 
So I have all this stuff, and I'm in a basically a, a pair of swim trunks and a thin tank top. And I go out to the farm, and I get out there, and I'm kind of getting stuff prepped, and I've got the smoker lit on the back of the truck, and I take my tank top off because it's 102 degrees, and I throw it in the truck. And got everything ready, got my boots on, and then I reached over to grab my suit, and there wasn't a suit in the truck. And there's always at least one suit in the truck, if not three at sometimes in the truck. Always there's a suit in the truck. And I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) So I'm looking around in there and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And the only thing that I had was one of the um, one of the the safari helmet shaped kind of veils where it's got the plastic Literally, it looks like a safari helmet inside of it. And then the veil kind of drapes down over that. I had one of those. So I ended up putting it back on so that I had a veil over my face. And I had the smoker and I put on the nitrile gloves over my hands. And I did go and inspect only the colonies that I knew were gentle (laughs) and got those out of the way. And then I had to load everything back up and come all the way back into town so that I could pick up my bee suit. So I could drive all the way back out to the main apiary and inspect all the colonies that I knew um, would have handed me my lunch had I tried to inspect them without a suit on. (laughs) So I was an epic moment because of all the things to forget, I have never forgotten my bee suit before. And I was like, are you freaking serious? (laughs) So you were out there working bees in your tidy whities? No, I was in swim trunks and a tank top, (laughs) not my tidy whities. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we're not talking Speedos, dude. We're talking trunks, <laughs> swim trunks. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was, uh, I was, was thoroughly impressed with myself that day. I was like, wow, man, talk about just a moment. And so I, I went ahead and I took pictures um, and put them out there on, on social media. And several people have been like, um, are you shirtless? And I was like, yep. <laughs> Why aren't you wearing a suit? Because I forgot it. <laughs> Yeah, probably um, somebody we, from here in Austin probably said something that to you that she's usually in in a dark tank top, and we we won't go we won't get into it any further. <laughs> yeah, no, um, but we did have Rachel from Australia commented on there, and she said, "Are you just trying to keep up with that girly you're always talking about that's out there in her tank top?" <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Yeah, no, that it was uh that was mine was not a staged um photo op publicity moment like all of her crap is. Oh, okay. Uh mine was a mine was an honest to god, I completely forgot. And again, there is always, except now I guess I can't say always, but there's usually always a bee suit in my truck. And I kind of cycle them through. So I have got five total. Um and three of them are usually primarily always in use uh one of them has been turned into a halloween costume (laughs) so but i go through and you know i always have one in the truck a lot of times i have a spare in the truck just in case um when we go out and we do our removals there's usually always two in the truck sometimes three of them are in the truck so it, it never ever crossed my mind that for whatever reason there wouldn't be one in the truck but i guess the last time that i went out and did something I brought that suit in, took it off and dropped it over by the garage door so it could be washed and did not go and put another one back in there. And there wasn't one already in there. But I just 
I've gotten so accustomed to them always being there. I never even thought about it. And I made it all the way to literally taking off a shirt and putting on boots and lighting a smoker before it even dawned on me there wasn't a suit. It wasn't until I reached for it and I was like, wow, the back of the truck's really empty. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got you something. Uh, remind me when you come and uh, when you drop by and it's to spray your suit down with. It's from Texas Ray's Products. To take oh, all Texas the, Race hunting products. I brought, yeah. I brought you his to take the the center. I mean, it takes the scent out of everything, and I you know I can't tell about the pheromones, but it takes all the smoke smell off. I mean, it's dang this thing. I ain't never seen nothing like that. Uh, working a smoker, uh, and and you know how smoky you get. Spray this on, it's gone. So. I got you a jug out there in the truck. Very cool. I yeah, I'm uh I will be interested to see how that works. In fact, actually I could use some of it today and, and we'll see how it does on a removal or how it does afterwards. Um yeah, I do remember that. That was uh, Brett. Is that right? Brett Andrews. Yep, Brett Andrews with Texas Raised Hunting Products, and he makes an amazing line of different Mainly all pheromone-based or um, things to remove scent, things to attract or repel, anything you could need for hunting product-wise. And he uh, he reached out to you, and you guys were chatting about some stuff, and you were telling him about you know some of the challenges that we run into with having to wash your gloves and wash your suits and things. And he was like, "Oh, well, you guys got to check this out." And so he he sent you some of those. And I am I am interested in seeing what that ends up doing. I have probably way more questions than not um, when it comes to <laughs> some of all of that. But I do think it would be interesting to to kind of see you know what it does and how it works and and all that. So that's that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. Um, one of the other things while we're on the the subject of random things that we have have tried or could try or or whatever. Um, there was an app that we had talked about on the listener question episode. One of our listeners had said, have you ever tried this, this app? And the app is called the B scanning app. I think. Yeah. It's not going to come up and tell me the actual name of it now. Um, but I believe it is literally just B scanning app. And what it is, is intended for you to go through and, you can set up your apiary location, you can name the apiary location, then you can name the individual hives or number the hives, and you can keep a log of them in here, and then you can go through when you're doing an inspection and take a photo of the frame or of the comb, and it then transmits that photo back to their main server, the server analyzes it, and then sends you the results back, and it supposedly goes through and counts all of the mites that are in that photo, and it will give you an, a mite count. Now, they do admit there can be some anomalies and some inaccuracies, and, you know, because it's looking for a physical mite, a little red dot on a bee, basically. And so there can be things that cause, you know, like, a false positive kind of result. And it also counts the number of bees that are on that frame. And if the queen is on the frame, it can locate and identify her as well. So it is, in theory, really cool. But I downloaded it, and I was going to go through and try it on just one of the little little tiny hives here at the house. And 
I got it installed and then like I really just wanted to go straight in and just take the picture and see how it worked. But it was like, no, 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 set up your apiary. Tell us your location. And I was like, no. <laughs> and then it was like, OK, name your hive and do all this other stuff. And then it was like, tell us your location. And I was like, no. And it kept wanting location and uh, basically your GPS access to your phone. And I was like, nope, you're not getting it. Because technically, apiaries are a proprietary bit of information. Places where people put their hives, it's kind of their own little unique niche um, where there might be a unique flora and fauna out there. And, And also, there's the security issue of you don't want people knowing where your hives are because you want to minimize vandalism and theft and things like that. So... I was really put off by the fact that the app wanted to use my location because I don't let anything use my location on my phone except for my GPS to drive, basically. And so I, I went through and I denied that aspect of the the permissions. And then I went in and I did all the other stuff. And then when I took the photo, it will not actually communicate with their server to go through and actually upload the image. So I'm going to try it right now one more time just to see. When you click on new analysis, you can either take a photo, you've got an option to take a photo, or you've got an option to go through and use the image gallery. And I tried it initially while I was sitting right there at the hive to just take a photo and it wouldn't do it. So I went ahead and took photos with my camera and then I tried to use the image gallery and both times it goes to this screen where it has their logo and then it's got this little dotted line that kind of squiggles around and comes up to a B and it's basically like their loading image Mm -hmm. and it will not go past that. And the only thing that I can think of is the fact that I denied it to have access to my location. And since how it can't have access to my location, it won't communicate with their server. So for me, I will not necessarily use that app. Mainly because I don't know these people. I don't know who developed it. I don't know what they're going to do with all that information. I do know that, you know, they could be using it to build a map of like where where are high mic counts and outbreaks and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. But that's fine if it is like if you're going through the Be Informed partnership and you're purposefully participating in that type of study, that is okay. And you, you know, you can make sure that you sign the contracts and that you know exactly what they're using their information for. This one doesn't say that. And so therefore, I cannot test this app and tell you how well I think it works or not, because it refuses to work unless you let it use your location. And I won't let it do it. (laughs) So we're at a stalemate. So uh, but I did go in there and I did try to pull it up and try to use it. Um, And yeah, unfortunately, that's uh, that's where we where we came down to. So that is that. Um, So. Max Max wanted me to bring up something. <laughs> Imagine that. I know, right? He was like, "You gotta, you gotta call Dad out. You gotta get him called out on this one." Probably tell so, me to slow down. Go ahead. Go. Probably telling me to slow down. Well, it was more about um, not being a front porch beekeeper when it came to one of your biggest colonies. Oh, yeah, we lost a colony, a big, one of the big colonies. We had split it, and it never took off from that. And also, that had a screen bottom, so they ain't none of them got screen bottoms now. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you can't, you can't know that the screen bottom caused that problem. 
Um, you didn't ever look inside of it, so we don't know what caused the problem. Hey, Did they never, never successfully the raise their queen? Well, so like like when you go through and we what we did is we did a split from it and we took the original queen and we put her over into the new box and they were in the process of raising their own queen. So right there, the problems could have started from there and could have been any number of things from thereafter. The new queen, maybe never they never successfully raised a queen or she came out and she might have been deformed in some way and could never go and fly and therefore could not get mated. And then if they off her, there is no eggs from that point forward that they can make a new queen from. And since how she never mated, she wouldn't lay viable eggs anyway. Or she could have left the colony and went to go mate and something gobbled her up and ate her before she made it home. Um, she blew away, got lost in a storm, you know, got swallowed up by a bird or a spider or a lizard. Um, so there's any number of things that could have happened. She could have made it back, but not made it very well and therefore wasn't laying enough brood. Or the colony could have gotten some sort of disease that went through in a virus or something that went through and wiped it out. Or they could have, you know, the forager force could have been out on a crop and gotten sprayed and then they died or they brought the poison back into the hive and the hive died. Like there's so many different things that could have occurred. But unfortunately, on this one, by the time anything was known to be wrong... It was basically a bunch of silk webs and worm poop. Pretty much. Man, a bur- the chickens got fed well. Yeah, chickens love the silkworms, the wax moth larvae. And uh, they they will eat the hive beetle larvae, but there can be so many of those sometimes that they'll actually get tired of it. <laughs> but they love those silkworm larvae for sure. Uh, the, the wax moth larvae, it's also a silkworm. But um, yeah, they or a wax worm, I think is what they call it. Wax worm. Um, but yeah, they're they're they love that, and it's a great food for them. So if you do have chickens out there, guys, if you're a beekeeper and you have chickens as well, anytime you run across something like that, take it and set it in the chicken yard and let them clean it up for you. And then once it's done, then you can go through and do whatever you need to with it. But yeah, give them the opportunity, and they love going through and hunting and pecking through that, and they can precision point and pull those out of the little cells and everything else. So it's a, it's a win-win. You're recycling and repurposing. <laughs> yep. Yep. But I did lose uh, one of the largest colonies and yeah, although he can't really say a whole lot cause he'd been helping me a whole lot and we, we never did open that all the way down and uh, the one right beside it we did, but we never opened that one all the way down to the bottom board. So yeah. And consequently, what was the what was the reasoning for not opening it by chance? I think it's too damn hot. <laughs> I just can't handle the heat. That's my trouble. And when it gets hot, but yeah, I just I don't know. Uh, I had opened it down to the bottom to the. I opened it up. We opened it up once or twice, and it just never had the bees that I thought it needed, and. We never hunted a queen up in it, and it just, uh, I don't know, I guess being lazy, I don't know why, but uh, uh, consequently we learned something, uh, we lost a, a big we lost a big one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't know if they absconded or if they just left. Uh, <laughs> we got, a, got a, a big swarm about that time in one of the swarm traps, so we don't know. We'll have to go do some digging. But I do know one thing, 
the bees, the queens with big blue dots on them are a whole lot easier to pick out. <laughs> yeah, um, there are a lot of beekeepers out there that really appreciate that marked queen because they can go through and they can see her a lot easier. Um, we did have one gentleman who decided he was going to take it upon himself to mark his queens. And it, uh, we'll say he had a 75% success rate. So he had four queens. He may have had more, uh, but we're going to say he had four queens that he marked and three of them went all right. The fourth one, on the other hand, the entire colony rebelled and balled up on the queen and tried to kill her. And so he had to fish her back out of there and get all the bees off of her. And then, you know, started sending me panicked messages and ended up putting her into a little cage where she could stay there for a little bit. But then once they did that, every time he tried to put her back in there, they balled up on her and tried to kill her. So he left her in a cage and they continuously were balled up on the cage and biting at it and trying to sting at it. And there like there was this this whole thing of like, what is going on here? What happened? And I asked him, were there any queen cells in there when you started this process? Do you know if they were in the process of already trying to raise a queen? Because if they were and then the queen left, they could have already decided, you know, or if a virgin queen had just emerged and that queen was still there for some reason, or if they were trying to get rid of that queen because they didn't like her and they were trying to supersede her, like there could have been these things going on. But one of the downsides of marking a queen is that you can, one, potentially damage or kill the queen herself because you can get too much pain on her and cover up her eyes or cover up her wings or something like that. You're supposed to just put the tiniest dot on their back and you actually don't use the marking pin to make the dot. You use the marking pin to make a drop of paint and then you take a smaller item, like a like the end of a, a flat uh, toothpick kind of thing, and you dip it in the paint and then use it to put the mark on the queen so it's more precise and in a smaller area. Um, and you don't have to worry about the pin accidentally releasing too much ink and then, you know, going through and, and hurting her. But then there's a lot of fumes that come with that paint because it's, I mean, it's still a chemical, right? And bees smell by pheromone and they, they're very, very sensitive to smells. And so you go through and you take that and then you turn around and put it on this queen and then you put the queen into the colony. She no longer smells like their queen. She smells like paint, chemicals, and fumes. And it can cause the colony to then rebel and try to kill the queen because they see her as a foreign intruder. So it can be a very risky endeavor for a backyard beekeeper to try to mark their queen. Now, in this case, luckily, he did have multiple colonies. And, and so if you wanted to experiment on one, you can. The best thing to do is to practice on drones. So you can practice picking up a queen by picking up a drone and you can practice marking a queen by marking a drone. And that way, I mean, this sounds bad, but heaven forbid, worst case scenario, if something goes wrong, you only lost a drone. <laughs> you didn't lose your only queen in the colony. Um, so that is one thing that can be done. But yeah, there's there's sometimes we, we can cause our own problems unknowingly. Um, and then, you know, it's all about paying attention and stuff and, and going back through. So the scenario that you just had with the big colony is something that happens a lot. And you hear it a lot when you go to some of the local beekeeper meetings and you'll have this, uh, this old curmudgeon in there 
that is like, I lost my bees because of wax moths and they killed my colony or I lost my bees because of hive beetles and they killed my colony. And, and in reality, that beekeeper could have been rough and reckless. And when they put the frame back in there, the queen was on that frame and maybe she was on the side and they smashed her when they put the frame in or they rolled her or she fell out of the colony and they had no idea. So the colony is now queenless. And perhaps it was the time of year, like in just a little while in, in late July and August, there's not going to be hardly any eggs or larvae in our colonies because the bees are going through a dearth and therefore they're not raising new brood because there's no food out there to feed them. And you accidentally kill your queen. They can't make a new queen. They go laying worker. They spiral. They go down the drain. They die. The hive beetles start, you know, towards the end of that eating things. And then the wax moths come in and clean everything else up. And you come back a month later and open it up. And all you see is the silk webs. And then ultimately wax moths killed my hive, which is not what happened. You killed your hive. <laughs> the wax moths are just trying to help you recycle the remnants. Right. And uh, consequently, I got a, I got the original queen in the, in the split. So. And that's this is true. You do still have the original to, queen. That's probably ready to uh, move into a eight frame because they're they're getting a bunch a bunch of bees in there. So yeah. Also, we put a well. Scratch. Technically, they're already in an eight frame. Yeah. Well, they are because uh, it's it's a stacked four frame. Yeah, it's two two four frame nukes stacked on top of each other. Now we put a scratch, another scratch. You know, we lost the queen, a scratch queen in the top bar, and so I put another scratch queen in there. Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday. So I'm gonna Tuesday, Wednesday. No, it's Wednesday. I'm gonna open that up Monday and see how if they accepted her, and hopefully they did because they had no. Uh, no brood, no eggs, no larvae, uh, nothing. And I hadn't gone wor a land worker. I put a quart of honey in our quart of one-to-one uh, -one in there, sugar water, put the queen in there, shut them up, and said, I'll see y'all Monday. <laughs> now, you actually did that yourself. You went out there and you requeened that top bar, um, I was very proud of you for that one. You really wanted to wait on Max, but Max was working. And I was telling you, it's a top bar. You can't work it in the middle of the day. You got to work it first thing in the morning. And so you went ahead and, and manned up and went out and bravely installed the new queen on your own. And and everything went well. You didn't break any comb off the bars. So it was actually a good morning. And then also that same morning, I went into uh, one of our swarm traps and uh we had had we I use eight frame brood boxes for my swarm traps, and we had put five frames in one, and the bees had moved in. I said, "Well, I better check and make sure I need to see what's going on." So I went out there and I sent you pictures of it where the bees over there had made comb falling into the cavity where the three frames wasn't there. So I rushed home. Built a, a a rescue frame and put those two little combs on there, stuck them in there, and I'll probably check those about. Oh, one of them had a little brood on it too. Uh, yeah, I saw that. I'll check that probably Monday or Tuesday. 
Well, imagine my little now, brother. There is, mm-hmm. there is something here that we we need to go back and and talk about because we we talked about this quite a bit, and uh, I gave you flack for it, and you know picked on you because you're cheating um, because you did go and purchase a ton of comb um, from a gentleman who was getting out of beekeeping. And then we did find out through that process that he does treat that comb. He puts it into a storage container and he treats it. He says that it is an odorless gas that he fills the chamber with. But then he also says when they open the chamber, it has to stay open and air out for a couple of days before they can even go in there and pull the pallets out, which that right there made me a little bit suspicious as to what they were doing. Um, And then the comb that we got from it has an odor. It has a very distinctive something has been done to this odor. And even letting it sit in the garage for quite a while, you had it sitting out in the the carport, just kind of open. It still had that odor to it. And we have found that the bees are very reluctant to use that comb. They will use it for honey stores easier than they will for raising brood. They really kind of avoid it. And in this case of your swarm trap, you had in those five frames and they chose to go out there and start building their own comb and laying brood in that. And they didn't put any brood in those other frames, but they did start bringing in some food stores into them. And so that's a really interesting analogy or or not analogy, but a really interesting um, result or outcome to kind of get from that. Yeah, I'm I'm noticing that the packages, uh, some of the bees don't take to those uh those comb as fast as some of the others do like uh the uh, italians i mean they went right to work uh the russians the carniolans not so much so i'm sitting there what's going on so i just watch them and uh but the carniola the italians both uh both of the italian uh colonies are just going crazy in fact, we we got uh, one of the Italian colonies. It's got two uh, two mediums on top of it, and it was a package uh, this spring. Yeah, but again, also you did give them drawn comb, so it's not that they drew out three boxes of comb. They just got big enough, quick enough, because you were giving them those extra resources. Um, so that is a distinctive you know, aspect of how they got that big that quick as well. But I mean, it does happen. I had a lady, um, two years ago that she went through, she got her first colony and she got a package and installed it. And that package was just, I mean, it was like the, the perfect scenario and they built out four boxes in the very first year, they built out four boxes of comb and they had one whole box of honey capped and everything. And I mean, it was it was absolutely phenomenal how quickly they grew and expanded. And now, granted, they had all this comb built out, but they still only had one box of honey. So in reality, they still was the same concept as their deep box with a medium box food wise. Right. Because those other two boxes were drawn comb, but they were empty drawn comb. But they still they drew out a lot of wax and. I was very impressed by that. It was a, it was really cool. Unfortunately, that colony the next year puttered out and died. Um, it, it just, it didn't make it. And now we've been going through and, and like pumping resources into it, trying to get it back up and going. And it's, it's been struggling. Um, so it is kind of a, 
a hit and miss. I told her that it was karma trying to balance things out because she had such an exceptionally abnormal year the first year that most beekeepers don't get to have. So now she's having a struggle <laughs> trying to get it back up and going. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it can be all over the place and every colony is different. Every little bit of genetic mixture is different and they can all have a completely different, um, from year to year, they can be completely different, but they can all have a different growth rate, a different storage rate, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, um, it'll be interesting to see for sure. The, uh, hive at the hotel, the hives at the hotel, um, is now a hive at the hotel. Just one, huh? The... Yeah, I, you know, I, I've told you guys we went through, we pulled, like they, they swarmed, they had all the mites, we treated for the mites, they didn't ever successfully raise their own queen, we put a new queen in there, they had a small hand palm sized patch of brood, then they absconded, and then we did a kind of a emergency last ditch effort split where I gave them a box and shook a bunch of bees in there and gave them a new queen and they immediately absconded and went back to their original colony. Nobody stayed in there and the queen ended up dying in her cage. They didn't even attempt to get her out of the cage. And so then I came back out and I had, when we talked about the the crazy swarms and I caught that one swarm that had the multiple queens in it, um, I took the main group of that swarm and I installed it into the hive and when I went back out there yesterday, there were still bees in there. Um, not as many as what I originally put in there, but they were still in there. They were still foraging. They were bringing in food. They had an entire box of open liquid, nothing capped yet, but open liquid in there of nectar. Not a queen in sight anywhere. I went through both boxes, every single frame, back and forth multiple times. Not a queen no eggs, no larvae, no sign that there had ever been any, but they're also not going laying worker, but they're still bringing in all this food. So I ultimately decided that I was done messing with it. And I combined the blue painted hive with the cypress hive. So now the cypress hive is a five or six box tall colony. Um, with the, it's, it's the cypress stand, the cypress deep, the blue medium, both of those, and then the cypress mediums above that. So it is a rather large colony now. Um, since how they had no queen, I wasn't really too worried about them fighting the other queen or doing anything else. I did not do a newspaper combine um, because the other colony is very large and strong and that other colony is very small and weak. And again, no queen, likely for a week more, no queen. So that's why I, I really wasn't too concerned with it. Um, it was more about what little foragers were there can help bolster the Cypress colony. And all of these resources and all of the nectar that they had brought in can be used by the Cypress colony. The Cypress colony has one box of solid capped food already, solid capped honey, another box of open nectar. And then I just gave them a third box of open nectar and then a completely open box of empty comb that they can continue doing. So we should, fingers crossed, ultimately get three boxes of capped honey when it's all said and done from the Cypress Hive. Um, but yeah, the Blue Hive, it just, I, I'm done with it. It's not going to work. Um, it It is, uh, I think it was more than anything, it was a locational challenge. It was on the westernmost side. So it was the one that probably got the brunt of everything. The other one was tucked over a little bit more in the corner. And... But yeah, that's uh, that's where we're at with that one. So we shall see. 
just for you to think about, and it's not that big a difference. The cypress is seven eighths inch thick, where the pine boxes are three quarters inch thick. Yeah, it's a it's just a smidge smidge thicker. Um, I mean, it might it might make a little bit of a difference, but I don't know that 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 little bit of an increase in thickness it would make such a drastic difference. Um, and originally. When this all first started, the blue hive was the strongest hive, and it was the biggest hive, and it outperformed the cypress hive at the beginning of the year, hand over fist. It's the one that drew out four boxes, nothing flat, and it's the one that was massive, and it was also the nicest one. The cypress hive barely had their deep and a medium, and they just weren't really going from there, and they were mean as hell. And we had to try to requeen them multiple times. It wasn't until they the blue hive got the insane mite load and swarmed and then left all those mites for all the brood and everybody that was emerging and all the bees that were left over that it it immediately went into a downward spiral. And then we just never managed to get it to recover. But had they not had the mites and had the colony not swarmed, I think it would still be thriving and, and doing exceptional. But I don't know. <laughs> that is hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. We shall never know. Um, but anyhow, well, I mean, this uh, this episode has been a a whole bunch of uh, of just random catch you guys up on stuff, and uh, hopefully you were able to gleam some little bits of information or humor from this. But there was not a not a specific outlined educational topic for today. It was more of a the just some of the the ebb and flow of things that happened to us john's gonna go do a a, a, uh, a removal are, are you i mean you could say that every day no, no. Well, but <laughs> are you gonna be in your tidy whities again this today doing it i wasn't in my tidy whities to begin with <laughs> i today am going to be in a blue pair of shorts and a blue tank top. Okay. With my bee suit on over the top of it. Okay. And John's gonna get to taste some good honey today. Yeah, we shall we shall get to try some Hawaiian honey. Hawaiian wildflower honey. Oh Lordy. It's I won't say it's better than the Jabar How the hell you say that? <laughs> Jerobombra. Jerobombra, honey. But it's, wow, that's all I'll say. It's good. You'll get tasted here in a little bit. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'm looking forward to that, to try it. Everything is everything is unique and different. So it's not that it's better. Unless you're talking about, like, winter honey, then it is definitely a, like, I don't like that stuff or I love that stuff. Um, but when it comes into some of the other honeys, I mean, it's it, there's just so many different varieties and everything has like its own little unique aspects and signatures based on the floral patterns and stuff. So, um, but a Hawaiian honey is going to be lots of tropical flowers that we would not ever have access to, trees that we wouldn't have access to. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's going to be different. It's going to be something that uh, we don't normally get to experience. So I'm looking forward to trying that. That was a Father's Day gift for Max for Max, you. Max, my son, mm -hmm. gave me a, a jar of that. And he says, Dad, this ain't cheap. 
I said, I bet it ain't. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, OHB. Yep. Very cool. All right. We, uh, we're going to wrap this one up. So you all have a great week, and hopefully your bees are doing phenomenal, and your nectar flow has started and is full on strong and heavy, and uh, everything is going good in your world. So happy beekeeping adventures, and we will talk with you all next week. Yep, we'll see y'all. Y'all be be safe and be ha- <laughs> make it rain for us, because I think we're fixing to head into a durst. It's getting dry, hot and dry. Well, Ju- July July is coming, so no matter what, we're heading into a dearth um, here very quickly. But it could arrive sooner than we want. We, we our our nectar flow could get cut short. They're talking. 14 days of no rain and and hotter than normal temperatures. We've already had a 100-degree day. Normally, that doesn't happen until the end of June or or July. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not going to be pretty. But we shall see. Yep. Um, But anyhow, y'all be good. Y'all be healthy and stay safe, family. The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.